Thank you, Ryan. I have a brilliant, beyond brilliant idea, she ex excitedly exclaimed. Now, when my older sister said these words, I already knew one of us was about to get into trouble, her, and one of us was about to get hurt, me. And yet this day, it was far too tempting to pass. You see, my parents and my three sisters and I were on a trip to the southwest of the United States. And as we were vacationing through, one day we went on a hike in the desert and we met up with a ranger. Now this ranger shared something with our family that to me as a young girl was quite shocking. He told us that you can actually eat cactus. Now, for many of you listening, you're saying, well, yes, of course, I always knew that, but I didn't. I had no clue. All I knew is my grandparents had a cactus plant, and I was not allowed to go anywhere close to it. I thought we were supposed to be afraid of cactus, and now here I'm being told you can eat it? Gingerly, my dad, with the permission of the ranger, cut off a piece of cactus, put it in a bag, and we took it home to prepare for dinner that night. And thus we pick up the story with my older sister coming to me with a brilliant, beyond brilliant idea. Carissa, why don't we make dinner for mom and dad while they're gone? They had just left to go on a walk around the campground and, and honestly that didn't seem like such a bad idea. How kind of us to make dinner for our parents while they were out on a walk. And so after thinking over her suggestion, I said, well, sure, let's do it. Grabbing that piece of cactus gingerly, we began like Wild West women to scrape off the big thorns with a rock. But what I did not know is I did not know there were small hair-like thorns also enclosed. And so as the, the meal continues and as I scrape off those thorns, somehow I, I wiped my nose and I touched my lips and, and all of a sudden, my fingers, my nose, my lips, they began to burn. Suddenly I realized why it was that cacti was not to be touched. And there in a frenzy, as my fingers feel on fire and my nose and my lips, my parents arrive home to the scene of what should be a nice candlelit dinner. And in great fear and concern, my sisters rush to them. What do we do? What do we do? How can you take out invisible thorns? Tweezers just didn't work. Thankfully, my parents came up with a wise, albeit painful, solution. How do you get invisible thorns out of your nose, your lips, and your fingertips? Duct tape. And if you can imagine, I have not forgotten the, the pain and the unique circumstances of that evening, of that dinner that did not go according to plan. Sometimes my little sister, who is now a grown woman, will still send me pictures of cacti just to enjoy seeing my 
shivers going down my spine just to see me uh, just cringe at the thought of a cacti. Now some of us may have unfounded fears such as spiders or the boogeyman under the bed or, or maybe we have more realistic fears of losing our job or a family member experiencing the COVID illness. And yet we realize that the Bible says that we don't have to fear. But today we're going to look at a verse in which God seems to say the exact opposite, where the Bible in fact encourages us to fear. And no, I'm not referencing the fear of reverence. It's a totally different type of fear and one which I pray we all have today. Heavenly Father, today, we just want to thank you for this Sabbath, Lord. God, I want to thank you for the sanctuary and time, this moment where we can pause. And Lord, I pray as we open your word, open our hearts, Lord. Father, I really pray that the Holy Spirit and Jesus alone be lifted up, Lord. May your words be spoken. May your thoughts be lived. And Father, may we draw closer and ever closer to the cross and to heaven is our prayer. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Long days stretched into weeks and soon stretched into months. As one by one, the days on the calendar were crossed off. Will this ever end? Will we ever go back to life as normal? And no, I'm not speaking of 2020, though we probably often said these same things, but rather I'm considering a much longer period in history, the 400 years of Israelite bondage in Egypt, a time filled with great brutality of slavery, of hatred. When will we finally be set free? They wondered as the days swept into years and into generations. And yet after long years of bondage, when deliverance finally came, the same mindset of doubt, of, of questioning God, of skepticism was retained and ultimately prevented that generation from entering into the promised land. The inspired writer, inspired writer of Hebrews, Paul records the story in this way. In Hebrews chapter 3, and if you'll turn with me there, that's the focus of our study today. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And speaking of this time period, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the days of the trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see, the Israelites seem to only believe as far as their eye could see. And in reality, that's no belief at all. As they stood on the edge of the Red Sea and as they questioned whether they could obtain deliverance, mountains on either side, the Egyptians behind them, they questioned, can God truly deliver us? 
when their baskets of bread became low, when they began to fear starvation there in the wilderness, or, or simply were just tired of the same food day after day. And yet the reality was they still had food in their baskets. And yet the reality was God was still going to provide for them and had provided for them. As they cried about the lack of water when there was still water in their jug. And when God again had miraculous provision ahead of them, this continual, I don't believe God, he can't do it, he can't provide, he's not enough. This continual skepticism, even though God time and time and time again had proven himself faithful and had truly provided for their every need. And yet nonetheless, they doubted the power of God. And because of this, they did not enter into his rest. The word rest here, used in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, a total of about eight times, is the Greek word, and, and please, if you speak Greek, just cover your ears for a moment here. It's the, the Greek word katapasis, which means it's a state of inactivity that follows cessation from labor. So after you've labored, that period of rest. I love to have a nicely decorated and clean and tidy house with, with everything in its place. Clearly, I don't have children. But it brings me so much joy after I've gone through the house and I've dusted everything and everything's polished and everything's thick and sand to, to sit down on my couch or if you sit down on my bed and to just look, to just admire, to just enjoy the work of my hands. Maybe you've experienced the same thing when you have made something out of wood or maybe you poured a concrete slab or, or maybe you did a really nice set of sutures on a patient or stepped back to admire the, the pearly whites on your patient in the dental chair. Whatever it may be, it's kind of that picture, the picture of an artist that paints the very last stroke on their painting and then steps back just to take it all in. And that's exactly the word that is here used as a picture of God ceasing from his work, stepping back, and just enjoying the labor of his hands. A clear analogy is given here to the Sabbath day, when again, that is exactly what God did, but he did not rest in his work alone. He invited humanity to also rest in that work with him. The rest spoken of here in Hebrews chapter three and four, it's twofold. It's the rest that's experienced in the promised land salvation, but it's also the rest that's found in keeping, in truly keeping, the Sabbath day. Though it's twofold, it is intricately intertwined. Because you see, the truth is we are not immune to the power of skepticism, to the unbelief that kept, that prevented the Israelites from entering into the promised land. And in fact, Hebrews gives this warning in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, 
lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I truly believe that skepticism is among the most lethal of sins. It causes us to lose our grounding, to rely on ourselves, on our own knowledge, and on our own wisdom. And in many ways, it makes us God to think that if we don't fully understand God and all his working, then, then he just can't possibly exist, is to mean that my mind, my brain, my comprehension is equivalent or greater than that of a deity. Skepticism replaces God with ourselves. And it's a risk that we all can encounter. We too can be prevented from entering into God's rest through the dangers of skepticism, both the weekly Sabbath experience, but also as we're going to see, the Sabbath rest, the rest of salvation that is also offered to us. But today, skepticism is not the only ditch that we need to fear. One of my favorite books in the Bible, chapters in the Bible, is Isaiah chapter 58. And to me, it's a really special tradition. Every Sabbath morning, that's my Sabbath morning devotion. I just read Isaiah chapter 58 and, and just ask for a deeper understanding and application of this in my life. Isaiah chapter 58, if you'll turn with me there. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 58 verse 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all of your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife with the fist of wickedness. And to strife with the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So here God is just challenging them and he's saying, is this really what you think I'm after? For you merely to fast, for you merely to afflict your souls and then to say, that's enough. I've earned my way into salvation. I've afflicted myself. I have the good works. And here God is saying, you're missing the point. That's not worship. That's self-service. What is worship? How can it truly be experienced? God continues in saying, is this not the fast I have chosen? Verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden." to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, 
And when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. When I think about this passage, I'm always deeply humble because here God, he says, when you see someone hurting, take from yourself and give to that person. Take from your own plate, take from your own closet and give to one in need. And, and you know, that, that can't help but humble me. And the question, you know, God, do I do that? And do I recognize that when I give of myself that you more fully give of yourself? In verse eight, it emphasizes this fact when it says, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So again, the question here is, how do we keep our focus? How do we keep from falling into this ditch as pictured in Isaiah 58, the ditch of self-righteousness, of thinking that our works are enough, that we can earn that favor with God? But then the other ditch, the ditch of skepticism, the ditch of doubting God and thinking that we ourselves are superior to all that he is. It's the ditch he can't of skepticism or the ditch I can of self-righteousness. How do we stay connected with God? How do we keep from, from sliding? I love that picture repeatedly given in the book of Hebrews where it warns us against sliding away from the truth. And that's the reality. We often think in our lives, oh, I will never get off the path. I will never lose my focus in Christ. But what happens is it's, it's more often a gradual sliding where we don't even realize that we are slowly being taken off the path. How do we prevent that? How do we retain our focus on God? A startling quote from Great Controversy, page 437. An answer is given. Had the Sabbath been universally kept, man's thoughts and affections would have been led to the Creator as the object of reverence and worship. Catch this. There would never have been an idolater, an atheist, or an infidel. When I first read that quote, I was, I was stunned. You mean if the Sabbath was kept as it was truly given from God, there would be no such thing as an atheist? There would be no infidel? There would be no skepticism? There would be no self-righteousness? If, if the Sabbath was fully and truly kept, these things would not exist? Well, how could that be? And how can we more fully experience that in our own lives? She continues, it was to keep this truth ever before the minds of men that God instituted the Sabbath in Eden. And so long as the fact that he is our creator continues to be a reason why we should worship him, so long the Sabbath will continue as its sign and memorial. The keeping of the Sabbath is a sign of loyalty to the true God, him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountain of waters. 
this past weekend, I had an opportunity to get out of the city and to just enjoy the beauty of the mountains as we explored new hikes. Then there's just something about looking at the majesty of the mountains, especially when you're a little further north than here. And you see just the beauty and the immensity and the, and the water and the life. And, and when you look at it, you can't help but like David exclaim, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? The enormity of God that shoves back against the face of skepticism. We see a God that is all-powerful, a God that is all-knowing, a God who is far superior to our own understanding. Creation points us back to truly an almighty God. So how do we remain strong when those winds of skepticism threaten to push us into that ditch? I believe that one part of that answer is by remembering that God is our creator, that God is almighty to take that weekly rest to remember and to reflect on how great thou art. And while that helps to alleviate one ditch, the ditch of the, of the infidel, of the skeptic, what about the ditch of self-righteousness? So for some of us, this might be the one to which we more fully relate, the one to which we probably don't want to relate. And yet it, it's so deeply within our human nature. The second thing that the contemplation of the almighty God allows and reveals is not only our own significance, but also the significance of others. I love the picture of the God of the universe kneeling down into the dust of the earth as he forms the eyes of man. He could have spoken us into existence. He didn't have to kneel into the dust, but the thought that God is so intimately connected with us, the thought that he couldn't wait to spend this first Sabbath with us as he invited us to pause with him, not from our works, but from the work that he did in creation, that salvific work for us. And again, creation reveals that, yes, we are important. So is our brother. So is our sister. That every single human being is of infinite worth and value. And I believe this is strongly revealed in Isaiah chapter 58. You see, it seemed as though Isaiah 58 took a massive detour halfway through the chapter. But in fact, I believe it was actually just the climax. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, or finding your own pleasure, or speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills 
of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see what this reminds us is that true worship, the worship of giving to, to those that are oppressed, of living out the life of Jesus Christ through service, that true worship of the Sabbath day, of not speaking our own words, but reflecting upon him, of honoring this day he has given to us. True worship and true service are absolutely inseparable. They are united and they are one. Because as God's children, as God's creation, every single person has significance. The Sabbath intrinsically is other-centric. It is centered in service. It is centered in worship. SDA International Bible Commentary, page 69, puts it this way. And, and catch it, two sentences, it is worth the thought. It says, humans did not need nor deserve to rest since they did no work during the creation week. God worked for them while they were still absent. As such, this rest is pure grace, an undeserved gift from God to humans. Indeed, it is God's rest that they are invited to enter. Just as Hebrews 4 encourages us to enter into the rest of God, entering into God's rest is a recognition that this rest is grace, that this rest is ours not because of our works, not because of our good deeds. It is rest because it is Jesus. It is because he is our savior. It is because his sacrifice is enough. It is because he saves that we can truly enter into the rest that he has created for us. This rest of grace. In its truest form, the Sabbath is a weekly reminder to also invite others to experience this freedom. Again, Isaiah 58, it shows us what is not worship, what is worship, and it ties it in directly to how do we honor God on the Sabbath day. Worship includes freeing those that are oppressed, freeing those that are in need. Yes, certainly figuratively in a spiritual sense, but, but also quite clearly in a very literal form. And the Sabbath offers this weekly reminder to look back at this almighty creator and to remember the importance of his children, of his creation. This twofold nature of the Sabbath is also revealed in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, as we know, the Ten Commandments are listed in these two passages. And in Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 20, it says that the reason for keeping the Sabbath is because God is our creator and because he rested on the Sabbath. But in Deuteronomy 5, it gives a little different picture for the authority behind the reason for why we should honor and keep the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, it says that we should keep the Sabbath as a sign that God is our deliverer, that he brought us out of Egypt, he brought us out of bondage, out of slavery, 
and into his freedom. So in a very real sense, the Sabbath points us to that creative power of God, the power that denies skepticism. And it also reminds us of that recreative power that we have in God that frees us from self-righteousness, that frees us to also partner with God in freeing those who are oppressed. To the one who forgives, the one who heals, and by God's grace, the one who lives in us. The one who, through us, can invite others to also enter into that literal, the Sabbath rest, the figurative rest, that's found in resting in our Creator and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this COVID time has not been an easy one. I have truly, truly missed you. I have missed being in Centennial together. I have missed seeing the greeters as I walk in. I have missed studying with each other and hearing everyone's perspectives. I have missed your smiles. I've missed your hugs. I've missed our conversations. I, I've missed our Sabbath worship study time together. I'm sure you can feel or you've experienced the same as, as likely you've also missed our church service time or our, our Sabbath school time together. And I think that's one of the challenges that I found personally during this COVID-19 time. You see, when we first started off, I, I can't speak for you, but I wonder if you might be able to relate. When we first started off, we are tied into Zoom. We are watching every program. We are joining more Bible study groups. We're excited about new ways to connect and study with people around the globe. But as time goes on, I am crazy tired of Zoom. No more Zoom meetings would be an absolute dream. And so it's easy to begin to have the Sabbath rest slip. When the Sabbath is just another day on the calendar, another day we're trying to get through to get to the end of 2020, to sleep in a little bit later, to be maybe a little less intentional about having that special devotional time or that time in worship with one another in whatever way it may be found. And so my concern is, and my fear is, could we be losing our grasp on what the Sabbath truly is. If we must fear, fear only this. Fear losing our grasp on the rest that God is giving to us. The rest that the weekly Sabbath reminds me of. The weekly Sabbath reminder that all of our righteousness is just filthy rags. That all of our skepticism is just useless in the face of an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. In knowing that Jesus is more than enough. In knowing that he is freedom and that he is healing. The rest in knowing that the same God that spoke the world into existence remains all-powerful today. This weekly Sabbath rest, we can't let go. 
we must retain. And it is such an incredible privilege to not only experience and enjoy it for ourselves, but also to encourage others to enter into this rest, this weekly reminder that God has bought us, that God created us, that every single one of our lives has significance. And also a reminder that one day we will enter into the heavenly rest, the salvation that God has ultimately granted to us. How do we stay on the path looking to Jesus, away from the pain of the ditch of self-righteousness, the ditch of skepticism, I believe that center place is found in prioritizing, in honoring, in keeping a special Sabbath rest that God has gifted to us. That pause in time as we contemplate our creator, as we serve his creation, and as we grow more and more like him. The story is told of a farmer many years ago who was looking to hire a hired hand to work there in his fields. And when he went to town and he's looking around to find someone, there was only one individual left, and he looked like a strong, strong individual that he thought could probably work in his farm. And so he went up to this man and he said, hey, I need you to work in the farm. I need you to work with the livestock. I need you to be planting. I need you, can you do the work? And the man turned to him and he simply replied, I can sleep when the winds blow. Yeah, that, that, that's not what I'm asking, whatever that means. What I'm asking is, can you do the work? Are you a good worker? Are you a hard worker? Will you get up early? And the man turned to him once again and replied, I can sleep when the winds blow. Though annoyed at the thought that he needs to know about this man's sleep habits, the farmer nonetheless had no other option. And so he said, all right, come with me. I'll give you a trial run. The weeks went on, and one night the farmer was asleep in bed when he heard the winds begin to blow. And he was familiar with these winds, the strong northeastern that was coming in. And these storms were particularly fierce, and they could uh, damage his farm. They could certainly hurt his livestock. And so he began to rush out to the little cabin of the hired hand to ask, or demand more likely, his assistance, and quickly battening down the hatches to make sure that all animals, all livestock were secure. Pounding on the door, he received nothing but silence. He continued to pound and to pound, wake up, get up, what are you doing? I need your help, hurry, we can't waste a moment. And yet the man replied with only louder snoring. In complete annoyance and frustration, the farmer rushed off, guaranteeing in his mind the next morning that man would be fired. And as he ran to the barn to quickly try and cover the hay from the fierce rain that was about to fall, he discovered that the hay had already been covered, securely tarped down. He rushed off to the chicken coop to make sure that the chick and the chickens were there, already roosting there 
for the night. He rushed into the barn to quickly latch down the shutters and to put in the horses. And yet, as he opened that creaking barn door, well, there, there were the horses. There were the lambs, there were the cows. Everything was in their stall. Everything was in place. And suddenly he understood the words of the hired man. I can sleep when the winds blow. He could sleep when the winds blew because he knew he had already done his part. He knew that he had already taken care of everything and so he could just rest securely at night. The Greek word that I butchered earlier, katapasis, is a Greek word used in Hebrews 3 and 4 meaning rest, but there's another way in which it can be translated. It can be translated as a putting to rest, a calming of the wind. You see, Sabbath in its truest form is a calming of the winds. To be honest, these past few months, have you felt the power of the storms? Have you felt the ferocity, uh, the ferocity of the, of the winds as they have beaten down upon us? Maybe you have felt the storm. But I believe that God has already prepared an out for us. He has already prepared a, a refuge in the time of storm. Through the beautiful reminder of the weekly Sabbath day, that regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the storms, we can rest in him. We can rest in him as our creator. We can rest in him as our deliverer. We can rest in him as our savior. To rest in his love to rest in his power, and by God's grace, to rest in his salvation. Regardless of the storm, regardless of the power of the winds, today, we don't have to fear, because through God's grace, we can enter in to his true rest. And by God's grace, we can continue to rest while the winds blow. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I want to thank you that you are our Savior. Lord, I want to thank you for the twofold message of the Sabbath that points to you as our Creator, to you as our Deliverer. And Lord, not only our Deliverer, but the Deliverer of those who are oppressed. And Father, what an honor it is. And by your grace, we accept the invitation to partner with you in this work of freeing those who are oppressed. And so God, we come to you because we desire to experience this rest more fully. Father, maybe we're coming also asking for forgiveness for the ways that we maybe have slipped, for the ways that we maybe have unguarded your Sabbath as we should, as the gift that you've given to us, for the ways that maybe we've allowed self-righteousness, self-dependence, skepticism, to enter in. And God, today we want to pause and we want to reflect on you as our creator and as our recreator, as our God, as our healer, as the almighty and the all-knowing. And so Father, we thank you that we can have this weekly reminder to rest in Jesus fully. And by his grace, may his life truly be lived out in us. We thank you. 
We hold on, but we trust in you. In the name of your son, we do pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.